Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How does an out-of-the-body experience actually work? Did the CIA really suppress a story about Adam and Eve? Could the proverbial paranormal cold spot be a sign of the multiverse? Hello and welcome to the 894th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those uh, those those interesting and many questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and my dad, Paul. And uh, I'm Ben, and we're coming to you live from WOON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app, uh, from TalkStream Live, and on TuneIn.com. Uh, first of all, a very happy Mother's Day to uh, everyone. Uh in uh, all our countries where it's being celebrated, uh, U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K., etc. Uh, today we bring you the first of two back-to-back open-line shows, very much needed because we're all backed up with questions. Uh, with so the when one are and we only- not? <laughs> what? When are we not? Right. Uh, and today we have the one and only Rick Eno sitting in for Shane Searway. Rick is our trusty cousin, a certified investigator for the Mutual UFO Network and our show's Northern California reporter. He comes to us today via Skype from the San Francisco area. So, Rick, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. It's great to be here. And again, um, uh, mom Mother's Day to all those wonderful moms out there. Yeah. Okay, so let's get uh, get right to it. Uh, we have uh, an email here from our show reporter, Phil, uh, who's right at the heart of the uh, Litchfield, Connecticut area flap, the Connecticut flap we've been working on for 16 years. And let's see what uh, Phil has to say today. Sure thing. Uh, so, Phil writes to us, uh, Sometimes at flap areas, military or police-like officials uh, come out of the wilderness to tell people to leave in no uncertain terms. Who or what are these military or police-like officials? Uh, who do they work for? Are they even human? Well, that's a... Big question there. Uh, we have lots of stories, particularly from that area, people seeming, seeming to come out of nowhere in some sort of uniforms uh, asking people to uh, avoid certain uh, regions. I'm thinking of uh, <clears throat> Mark D'Antonio, uh, who was a uh, very, very well-known figure in the UFO community, uh, an astronomer and also one of our occasional co-hosts on the show here, uh, is from that area. And he remembers a friend of his saying, that he was going down to fish at a brook he'd fished at all his life. And all of a sudden, the Humvee pulls up with fellows in, in, in black uh, clothing and uh, armed with M16 rifles, he thought, and all of a sudden, you've got uh, an order to leave the, the area and not to return. Uh, other people, in, uh, particularly in 2009-2010, when the military presence was very prominent in that area and they didn't care who knew it, uh, people were having the same thing. They'd walk to the edge of, of uh, their property and be told to turn back, that sort of thing. But the question is, was this really the military? Was it private security? Who is it or what is it? <clears throat> the idea of them even being human uh, is a legitimate question <clears throat> that came out of several, several cases from the 1960s, particularly the Mothman incidents of uh, 65 through 67, and uh, people would show up at people's doors with uh, very strange-looking people, uh, sometimes in military uniforms with the insignia in the wrong places, that sort of thing. And uh, that was uh, a question of, were these aliens? I mean, who knows? 
uh, or were they people from other parallel realities? Uh, on several occasions, there were reports of uh, these people visiting uh, a home, and there would be uh, an ashtray, for example, if anybody remembers ashtrays, uh, on someone's desk. And all of a sudden, there would be um, a great curiosity on the part of this person, and they would ask if they could take it, or a pen, or a pencil, as if they'd never seen anything like that before. And off they'd go, uh, delighted as if they had some kind of valuable antique or something. Very, very strange. So uh, Phil's questions are very um, are very apt, but uh, who knows the answer, really? Uh, there also, you go. I believe we have Chris DiPerno on the line. Oh, we have Chris DiPerno, the assistant, uh, you, the MUFON director of the state of California is with us today. Uh, distinct honor. And we're going to turn this over to Rick because uh, Rick is uh, conversant in the case and with Chris. They speak the same language. They are from the West Coast after all. So, Chris, uh, welcome to the show and uh, welcome to WON Radio. And uh, we're going to turn you over to Rick. Hey, Chris. Hey, let, me, let me clarify first uh, Chris is the assistant state director to New York. Oh, New York. So, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, oh, so he's, uh, so, so oh, he's yeah. in our neck of the world. All right. He's a, a, a 30-year retired police officer detective there as well. He's uh, amazing wealth of knowledge. So good morning, Chris. Good morning to you. How are you today? I'm doing well. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in your life. That's right. And happy Mother's Day to all your listeners out there. What a great day it is. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Chris. Chris, I'm going to get started with, um, we had a question from, uh, we have a, a trusted friend in uh, Bogota, Colombia, who wrote in and was curious about the report where a UFO was seen dumping barrels into a lake in your area. Can you expand upon that? What What is actually you've uncovered or anything you can share? I understand it is uh, an active case, but anything you can share around that and what you discovered? Absolutely. Love to share it to your listeners. Well, first of all, uh, what we did was we had a report from a very credible uh, eyewitness whistleblower who led us down to the Hudson Valley area, and we discovered uh, that uh, he witnessed a triangle dump a barrel-sized object into this particular lake, and there's been some change in the lake uh, during the past uh, year that we've uh, taken some water samples from. Here they've got now a deadly algae going on there, and uh, they shouldn't have. There's really no reason why they should have that. Uh, so the composition of the lake has showed a tremendous amount of nitrates and phosphorus uh, things that uh, because there's no runoff, it, and and the people there don't use uh, fertilizers and things of that nature near enough to the lake where the runoff so we're, we're delving into that right now. But the eyewitness basically saw a triangle hover over the lake, dump a barrel-sized object into it, and then uh, I guess a few days later, other people saw uh, light in the lake uh, moving around at a very rapid speed. And so I went down to investigate, and sure enough, I uh, and I was a skeptic at first. I said, ah, yeah, right, okay. But I stood out on the dock, and I actually watched an object hover right over the lake, and I can't explain what it is. It wasn't a drone. It wasn't a plane. It was too low to be a plane because it was at treetop level. It wasn't a drone. It wasn't an air light. Nothing of that nature. So the Hudson Valley area, I call it the area 51, area 51 of the East Coast, there is 
so many mysterious things going on in that Hudson Valley area that I'll tell you, uh, ufology should really, really take a look at that. Now, Chris, in terms of the, the the lake and so forth, and you mentioned the nitrates or anything, any ideas why that would be increased? Is there anything about the area that's... No, um, we, thought, we thought possibly because, you know, people, it, it's, a, it's a very kind of secluded area. We thought, well, maybe people would have runoff with, you know, their fertilizer and things of that nature. We could cause, you know, some of that. But... We, we kind of took a look, and we don't believe that's the case. We hmm. we don't understand. And here's the thing. The bloom is in the middle of the lake. It should, you know, technically it should be at the shoreline, but it's in the middle of it, and it's in a circle. So you tell me. <laughs> did, did, did MUFON send in a dive team? Yeah, they won't allow us. The, the place... Here's the other thing. Where this lake is, it's a village, but you can't get into the village. It's not a gated community. It's an actual village. The state of New York has public roads. They have their own police force. But if you try to enter there, you're stopped at a gate. And a police officer, not a security officer, comes out and asks you what your business is. And you have to be escorted to the person's house that you're visiting and escorted back. Any idea why that would be? Yeah, because because years ago, one of the most secret labs in the United States was built there by a guy by the name of Alfred Loomis. Alfred Loomis was a billionaire and a brilliant physicist, and he created a secret lab there called the Tower Building. And he brought in Albert Einstein, he brought in Federico Fermi, and what he did was he actually... They made the equations for the atomic bomb there. The bomb was built down in Los Alamos, but the actual equations for it and everything were done right there in the Hudson Valley. And they have think tanks there. They've had, the you know, Livermore Land was founded right there in the Hudson Valley. You know, all the Rand Corporation had dealings with them there. MIT had dealings with them all there. He brought in all these, as a matter of fact, when World War II was over with and the Nazi uh, scientists were brought over an uh, Operation Paperclip stack where they were brought to the Hudson Valley area and then they were dispersed out from there. But it's, it, 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 like I said, it's the area 51 of the East Coast. It, it's hidden in plain sight. Wow. That's, uh, can I get a question in here? Um, <clears throat> Chris, there's a lake. I don't know if this has any connection uh, to that's in the, I guess it's the Hudson Valley, but it's eastern New York. And uh, I discovered it when we were researching our flap area cases, we call it, in in western Connecticut, which has now extended about 330 square miles in the last 16 years since we've been investigating it and includes uh, much of the southern Hudson Valley. Uh, it's called Nuclear Lake. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what's that about? I mean, is that and is there any connection uh, to the to any case that you're aware of? Or is it just a weird name? Yes, it actually uh, it's coordinated. Uh, a person I know very well who studies UFOs kind of said, "Chris, maybe you should start looking at Nuclear Lake too." Because here's the other thing that we found: when we started doing the UFO sightings in the Hudson Valley area, this particular rope 
we couldn't figure out why we would get so many sightings at this particular road, uh, Longview Road. What I mean, what were they interested in? What? Why were people going outside seeing UFOs hovering in their fields, you know, in their backyard? Everything. I mean, it was just crazy. Well, what we found out was on this road that uh, I believe it was. I can't remember the company's name, it'll come to me, but they built a hidden nuclear reactor inside the inside part of the mountain right there on Longview Road. They called it a biomedical center, but it had a nuclear reactor. Well, the nuclear reactor leaked and went into the water reservoir. But as you know, these unidentified crafts are very, very interested in our nuclear work. Well, here we had a nuclear reactor sitting on this road that nobody knew about, hidden in plain sight again, built inside the mountain, that started leaking, and they didn't discover it until somebody tested, I guess, the reservoir water and discovered, holy cow, this, you know, there's a high concentration of radiation in this. So they had to dig the entire reactor out. Once they took the reactor out, the site was dropped. And that's And now, how you connect that with Nuclear Lake? Nuclear Lake also has a high concentration of radiation. And there's been a ton of sightings. People have called me and said, Nuclear Lake. But here's the other thing, too. Try to get in around Nuclear Lake. You'll get stopped by the police. Oh, really? Well, we were planning a hike. <laughs> I guess we <laughs> put that on the shelf. Well, I, a person that I know very well has told me, says, Chris, I was absolutely stopped there, questioned why I was there, what am I doing there, everything at that lake. And he will not go back. Okay, I so, think we've um, we've stumbled on something that we can have you on for a whole show about, okay? Uh, but <laughs> And thank you so much for calling in, and we're, we're definitely going to schedule something with you, Chris, uh, sure, found of uh, information here. And uh, so, uh, Rick, uh, have we covered uh, Peter's questions? <laughs> That was uh, Peter's main question. The other one we're going to handle with uh, with uh, Dev Rooney when she's on her show. Okay, very good. Well, Chris, thank you very much for calling. It's great to make your acquaintance, and we're going to be in touch about a, a whole show with you. Well, great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Take care, guys. Good luck. Okay, very Bye, good. Bye, Chris. Now, right. it's interesting because uh, we were talking about the Flatbury case in Central Connecticut, and uh, our first question was from our one of our show reporters there, Phil, and uh, there's a follow-up here from Phil, uh, who had asked originally about strange people who come and do just what Chris was describing and tell you to leave the area and that sort of thing and who they are and what what it's about. And um, uh, we have a, a follow-up from Phil on that. Uh, ben, are you you're doing the producer thing, or you can you read the question? Uh, I can I can I can read. <laughs> I have the ability to. <laughs> Uh, sure. So the question is, um, I've experienced these guys once in Milton, Connecticut, a very rural section of Litchfield near the Goshen line. I was driving and, uh, they told me to turn around. They looked like police, but they clearly weren't. The uniforms didn't fit and the police insignias were incorrect. Uh, the one guy, quote unquote, who talked to me seemed like a character from a 1930s movie. Uh, it is so hard to explain. He said, say... Uh, you will have to turn around and go back. Very weird. Um, uh, you know, what? it almost sounds like uh, one of those um, Men in Black experiences yeah. or, or or anything that was reported 
in um, oh geez, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, mm. right? Have, or Air Force officers showing up people's houses, but their insignias were wrong. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. Were acting kind of funny and strange. Yeah. So I mean, who knows? Who knows? It, it, it's really one of the oddest aspects of these things. Uh, there was a case in San Jose where a, a woman had seen something, and she was at a bar, uh, and men came in dressed as military. This is 1981. Uh, and their insignias on their uh, lapels were just random letters. They didn't spell a word when they were interrogating her in there. So it's not just our dads. Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenon. Well, we've been asked many times, have we had experiences of that kind with men in black or something like that? And all I can say, and you were still living at home when things like this were going on. Oh, yeah. There, was, there would be utility workers who would show up, uh, in this case from National Grid, which is our local... Uh, Eastern New England, uh, one of them anyway, of power companies. Uh, our, our relatives in the UK laugh because they have the same supplier. And uh, they, they would show up at the door, and a military-type guy, and, uh, you know, with ID in National Grid, with a National Grid truck, and they wanted to come in and install something on our meter, which is not too crazy, you know, but... Uh, but I would, I would always check being somewhat paranoid after all these years. And I would call, and the National Grid wouldn't know who they were. And by the time I got back to the door, they were gone. So something fishy was going on. And, um, th- th- then they started tearing up the streets around here. And we, I had to let them in, but I don't know, whatever. Um, I, I don't know. But, uh, as far as the actual men in black, that kind of thing, I, I don't really think so. So let's move on to a question from, um, Oh, this, this is really interesting. This is from Todd in Ohio. Ben, if you'd, uh, can, you, can you do it or should I? Uh, would you be so kind? Sure. All right. Uh, number one from Todd. Uh, please talk a little bit about this topic, uh, the mysterious book by Chan, Thomas, Adam, and Eve. Now, when I saw this, that this really hit a nerve because I, I, I have read this book, and it was supposedly written about 1963. And it had all, it's really quite interesting. Uh, now, Chan Thomas, whom I cannot find out much about, actually uh, was supposed to be a scientist working on some secret government program that looked at uh, geological upheavals in the history of the Earth. And the conclusions that they supposedly came up with were very controversial, uh, that there had been you know, six um, epochs in human history where we had gone from, as we say, uh, stone tools to power tools several times. Now, now today, now in 1963, that was really quite controversial. There'd been uh, Uspensky and Velikovsky and other people who were writing about things like this, but they were considered to be cranks uh, starting in the 1940s, you know, a Venus hitting the earth or pole shifts and things of this kind uh, that uh, had uh, wiped out humanity and come back. That, that, that had all been considered crank stuff. Uh, today, that's it's not so much. Uh, it's been written about widely. But in 1963, supposedly, the uh, he was talking about six different times that had happened. And uh, First Nations people will tell you uh, their, their belief that it maybe has happened four times or, you know, the same sort of thing. Uh, so today, everybody writes about that. But in the, in the 1960s, uh, Eric Vendanikin hadn't even written Chariot of the Gods yet, at least in the early 60s. And uh, th- this was new stuff. 
supposedly the F, the uh, CIA put the, the the clamps down on this because it was it was if it got out that the government was studying this stuff and believed it, uh, religion would turn upside down and therefore society would. Now it's a different world today. Uh, organized religion doesn't have uh, that kind of social influence anymore, I don't think, and uh, people wouldn't really care that much. Uh, people believe all kinds of things anyway. So, but at the time, I mean, I just, I've never been able to find out much about it. He gets into ancient languages. It's very, very, um, uh, writ- well written, very erudite, and it's very uh, articulate. And, um, if, it, if it's legit, I, I cannot find out much about Chan Thomas, whether he was really working on any program or not, but that would be, that would be normal for the time, unless somebody was really famous, uh, their name would not be prominent. Mm. So that's what I know about that book. Uh, I, I have no reason to believe it's not legitimate, but I can't prove that it is either. So, But it, it is worth reading. As a matter of fact, I was astounded. There it is on Amazon Kindle. You can get it on Kindle for like nine bucks. And I, I would like to do that and then find out if this is the same book that I read. Because you never know with these things. Mm. You know, because I, I read it and I got a... I, copy of it in the 70s uh, after it had already supposedly been clamped on so I, I, I don't know so that, that's what I know about that Todd but excellent question anybody else have any comments on that I was just getting education there so oh, okay. <laughs> appreciate it well, that's what we hope to do on the show. So, may I see the question? Sure, please. And uh, he also has a second question, uh, Todd from Ohio. Sure. Um, mysterious book. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, this is actually. You know, you know, it's funny. I, I've I've weirdly been doing doing research into this, kind of coincidentally. Um, there's a really there's a really really interesting thing because I you know I, I'd never I've never read read the book. But um, I, it, from what it sounds like, I think it was written around the time that the Ugaritic language was discovered. Oh yes. So, it, which is you know, a lot of them are, are branches of um, ancient Sumerian, which is a branch off of ancient Akkadian. Yeah. And so you know, no language is one to one, but there's words that are used that are similar. So there's like really interesting things. And I I've, I've I heard a rumor. I don't know how true it is that you can actually get like a full ride. To many universities to learn, like you know, for Assyriology to like learn ancient languages because they they found all these clay tablets that nobody were... speaks of anymore. No, well, so... not nobody. Your uncle really? Bob did. Oh yeah, yeah. He spoke Assyriac fluently. Probably the uh, you know for academic reasons. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. it's well because you can get a full ride. You can you can read through these clay tablets and like you know use it for translation. Ninety percent of them are like shopping lists and like. Trade logs and things. Oh yeah, yeah, business deals. And right, yeah, it's, it's very boring, but occasionally you'll find interesting things, especially about Bale. That's a fun one. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, Bale. Who? Which some is, things never change, right? No, but it's <laughs> it's interesting because the word Bale um, isn't necessary. It just means Lord. So, like, you could say, like, you know, because um, you can you can read through ancient languages and you see Baal mentioned a couple of times, and really it just means, like, it's just a different word for the word Lord. Wait, but you're talking about Baal as in getting out of jail, right? No, Not, no, no. You're talking about Baal the God. Yeah. Baal or Baal yeah. the God. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's technically pronounced Baal. Yeah, that's the way my third grade teacher pronounced it. Right. Baal, 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 whatever. So it's essentially just means Lord. 
which yeah. is which is a, a fun sort of thing. And now now there's sort of interesting. Ad and I does too. Right. The Hebrew, yeah. This means so it's it's fascinating stuff. And um, it is. And and the more you kind of read about it, and you look at the the you know the Epic of Gilgamesh. And like all these other all these other things. Well, that, that's the next part of the question. Yes, which is, uh, does the biblical Esau represent a different race of man? Uh, thanks for the possible tie-ins. Uh, th- or thanks, uh, possible tie-ins with uh, Enkidu. Yes, Enkidu was the um, a, a companion of Gilgamesh. Okay, now I don't want to get too esoteric here on the show, but. Uh, th- these are ancient, ancient stories, ancient Sumerian stories and from the Akkadian or Akkadian Empire, which was the first known empire in the, the Western world. I mean, you can argue that China had an empire before that and does again. But uh, in any case, yeah, he was a, a uh, Enkidu was a um, uh, companion of Gilgamesh, and these were great heroes. Uh, did all these amazing things. You can, you can still get, uh, you can read the Epic of Gilgamesh in English, and uh, they were, um, uh, there was a reference in Genesis to the heroes of old. Oh yes, descendants, uh, descendants of the Nephilim or the giants. And this stuff is all is all in Genesis too. Mm, yes. So and in Hebrew, it's really wild when you read it. But oh yeah, especially when you get into the giant wars, or as the Greeks call it, gigantomachy. Yeah, right. So so th- this really ties into the first question about this book. Because there are all sorts of things like that that, that this uh, Thomas Chan Thomas supposedly discovered, and the, you know the government was working on some. I don't know, but who knows about this stuff? But uh, yeah. that—that's who uh, that was. But as far as Esau was concerned, uh, I didn't quite get from Todd if this was his meaning. But uh, th- these were the sons of, of Jacob. Uh, I should say the sons of Isaac. There was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founders of the, of the Hebrew race. And uh, the the sons of Jacob, I should say, the, the sons of Isaac were Jacob and Esau. And uh, the Bible makes a reference to Esau as being a very ha- a hairy man, literally. Mm. And uh, so uh, Isaac couldn't see very well, and the, the story is that Jacob faked him out. Because J- Jacob was a little bit younger, wasn't going to get the inheritance or, and that sort of thing. So he got the uh, a, a, a skin of a sheep and put it on his arm so that his poor father would think he was Esau and gave him his blessing and gave him all the dough, right? So the sheep and stuff. So um, that that was considered, I mean, to this day, I mean, traditionally, that is the reason why Arabs and Israelis don't get along. Sometimes a scholar would tell you, it goes all the way back to that incident with Jacob and Esau a zillion years ago. So uh, that's... <laughs> That's a story there, but but whether Esau was um, uh, a different species, I mean, they were both sons of of Isaac. I mean, the guy wouldn't have been a Bigfoot or anything or a Neanderthal. I mean, well, who knows? It just uh, you know, he just got the uh, had a really hairy arm, I guess. I, was, I don't know whether he was a different species, but yes, nevertheless, a good question. I've never heard it asked before. So well, I believe uh, before we before I make a comment, we should go to our break. Oh, good idea. We're having such fun. I missed the break. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben, Ian, Paul and Ben and Rick Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's gorgeous Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. We'll be right back with more Open Lines. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade 
the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul, Ben, and Rick Eno. Today we're doing open lines with some really interesting questions from a lot of different people. And uh, is that it for Todd's questions? Yes, but I had a comment. You had a comment. I have a comment. And the comment is, I think our understanding of history is flawed. Um. You know, typically, right? You know, there's that the the sort of the the line that's towed by most historians that you know we were hunter gatherers, and then out of nowhere we kind of just got power tools, and boom, civilization. What's What's interesting is um, I think the the discovery of um, oh geez, now I'm blanking on the name of the ancient the ancient site that was found. That's probably the oldest ancient site ever found. Uh, to uh, go back <laughs> to Tepe. Tepe. Yes. Right. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Dos Enos, for helping me. Um, so the the interesting thing about Gobekli Tepe, and I never thought of this until I, I heard it mentioned in, in a lecture I was listening to, that around this time period, it, it is believed that humans just kind of wandered around and kind of just picked stuff up and hunted and gathered, and that's about what they did. So something, you know, for someone to set up a site, right, you know, so it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, and if you study the area around it, there's no real reason for it to be there, right? There's no logical explanation. You know, there's no, there's not really a lot of running water. You know, there's no, there's, there's no real way to do any sort of agriculture because it's in a desert. So it's, it's like, what do you, what do you, what do you do with this? It doesn't make a ton of sense if you go by, okay, well, you know, we had their humans that need food, check. They hunt and gather, check. And then it's like, but they set up a place made out of stones, which means they're there often. And if if you look around, there's even, you know, I, I believe they even discovered sort of foundations of houses that were there. So they even they even set up dwellings there for, for you know, if you're in a tribe, right, you're wandering around, you'll, you'll tend to have rival tribes or enemies or, or something. So staying in one place is super dangerous. And so something had to happen. To, for for them to to stop moving and go and and set up what looks like some sort of site. Now the, the, I know that there's picto, pictographs on there, or yeah, or, or essentially you know drawing. Yeah, drawings. very different kinds from other civilizations. Right, and there's there's no written language. You now there's no really you know, they haven't really figured out the symbolism of all the animals that are drawn there. But the, the fact remains that you know they they decided well we're going to set up a site here and then they stayed. Which isn't too different from how, let's say, you know, the ancient Greeks functioned, right? You know, you have some guy, you know, running around from Athens, and he sees Pan there, and Pan says, "Hey, guy, I want you to build a temple to me." And he's like, "All right, sure." And so they, and so, and so they build a temple. So how how we view history is 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 flawed, I think, because we look at things from our very limited materialistic perspective and say. Okay, well, they must be doing this because you know we need food and sh- and shelter. Therefore, they need food and shelter. Boom, done. How how the ancients experienced life, I would argue, is very very different than how we experience life. And you know, yeah. it's, that's why I think it's like I, I think it's kind of a cop out to say aliens did everything because it's like we don't we don't we can't we can't know how somebody existed you know a hundred years ago, right? You know, I I, I I like to make this joke because um, 
I, I saw this thing. Someone found a cookbook from like, you know, 1890. And for whatever reason, they put eggs in everything. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why, but they did. So someone made lemonade and for whatever reason, it called for like three eggs. And it just, it's absolutely disgusting. And so it's hard for us to understand things, you know, not even a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, like versus today. How can we understand how people lived ten thousand years ago? It's 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 just it's idiotic. It doesn't make any sense. It's like you know you can have your your basic hierarchy of human needs, but at the same time, understanding what it's what it's like to be that person, we can't we can't know. We can know what it's like to be our ourselves in that in that situation. That's for sure. But we don't know how an ancient person lived. Rick, you, you want to jump in here? Yeah, I was going to say it's fascinating comment, Ben, because uh, I, I think, first of all, that they were much more intact and uh, in, um, focused on their spirituality. But when, when you mentioned Gobekli Tepe, the one thing that has always kind of blown me away, and I can't, I can't come up with it, that entire um, uh, area was meticulously buried. They didn't find bodies there. Uh, from what I understand, but they meticulously buried, almost to the point where stones are placed purposely in certain areas to cover over without destroying what was underneath. And um, one would think, why would they do this, and why would they invest their time that way? And and to, to point out what you're just saying, we're never going to understand it. But but when you look at how they lived and why things went down, the way, I, I don't know that we ever will, but there's definitely a mystery there, and I think it's... it's uh, it's far beyond probably where we are today to comprehend it, unless we had a glimpse into that time. Mm. You know, and, and then one other piece to that is you mentioned earlier about you know getting scholarships to universities for for uh, these ancient languages. Something uh, people might want to check out on Linda Moulton House site. She does a review of this supposed uh, um, basalt uh, structure found in the Antarctic. And what's interesting about that is in the reports and in the interviews they talk about. Uh, the military escorting um, uh, personnel with rare languages, ancient languages, to the site to decode what's on the wall, and they cycle them in and cycle them out. And the reason I'm pointing that in is if you're going to go study ancient languages and get that scholarship, you may be going there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- that's in Turkey, uh, and we did a show. I wish, and I know when we were going to talk about this, I would have had the show at my fingertips. But uh, in our show archives, there's a show I believe it was from 2017 with Linda Moulton Howe, a uh, science journalist. Uh, and the last show we did with her was about Gobekli Tepe, and she'd actually been there in Turkey and participated in the research and, and seen a lot of the stuff firsthand. So uh, you can go Amazing. to BehindTheParanormal.com and, and, and look for that. Sorry, I caught you unawares, Father. That's no, 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 you, no, that's, that's right. how you know this is live reading. Well, I, I, I don't know how to do a search on my phone. If you're on a computer, you can, see, you can search for Linda Moulton Howe or Gobekli Tepe, which you know, nobody can spell. So uh, just Linda Moulton Howe. Okay, very good. Uh, what do we have next there, Ben? So next uh, we have Doug from Texas, uh, and he writes, Greetings, gentlemen. And greetings to you as well. Uh, I have a somewhat philosophical question. Paul, you have often stated, how can you be you without your body? Although you make a valid point, I can't help but question the out-of-body experience. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are numerous accounts of people's spirit, soul, consciousness, or whatever, floating above their seemingly lifeless bodies. Can you explain these experiences from a multiverse perspective? Is there, perhaps, some validity to the notion of astral body? Is there a uh, multiverse equivalent 
uh, to a so-called astral body. Thanks. Sincerely, Doug from Texas. Doug, excellent questions. Uh, I've actually considered that because I've talked to a lot of people, and so have most of us, uh, who have uh, had particularly uh, experiences in the in the operating room where they're being operated on, or or, or they're dying, or something, and then then they they they're they're floating above their bodies and uh, looking down and all this sort of thing, or, or variations on that theme. Now the question is, and you know, at the risk of the confirmation bias here, uh, it. What is really the mechanism behind this process? Uh, I have known a lot of people, uh, several of them very dear friends. I'm thinking of uh, Scott Rogo and uh, a friend of mine in uh, Warwick, whom I've just uh, recently contact with after some years, who would routinely have out-of-the-body experiences and some w- would literally travel around looking in people's windows, you know, not really... Trying to, you know, whatever they were, the, the motivations were. This is the, how that would kind of happen. There was often a fear they would not get back to their bodies. Uh, there was a principle, uh, particularly in the spiritualism and and other aspects of this, uh, where there is the so-called silver cord that connects you. You know, much as a baby has an umbilical cord, uh, would connect you with with your body. Uh, in spiritualism, there is the notion of the astral body, and I think in a lot of ways uh, they just couldn't figure it any other way that uh, this would work. And the astral body is, is, is almost a platonic copy of your physical body. Yeah, it sounds like Plato. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, it would have all the characteristics except in a, in a sort of a spiritual way. And, uh, you know, maybe that's true. Uh, I've never seen any evidence of that. I think there are other explanations. But uh, the question is, you know, are you really out of your body looking down in your body. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's some other explanation for that. Uh, the, the, the notion, the, 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 the initial question uh, that Doug uh, submits, uh, that I ask, is without your body, would you still be you? In other words, um, and maybe this is my theological training, but the importance of the body and the physical nature is is stressed very, very strongly in ancient Christianity and in a lot of, in a lot of ancient religions. Uh, today you've got this dualism where essentially matter is bad and spirit is good. But it's and the really, opposite. And the opposite sometimes. Uh, but what it really is, and now we know matter is really just another form of energy. So, uh, but, but in, in our particular corner of the multiverse, in our particular world, there is uh, the notion that uh, the laws of physics would not permit the entire uh, personality of someone to be outside the body, you know, in its full form. And so that's the key to my answer, is that I didn't say, I've never said that it is impossible to exist outside the body, but it is impossible for, for the totality of the person to exist outside the body. All right, you know, all memories, all you know, all all the the full notion, and we have to be careful of the island theory, as we call it, that all of us is contained just within our bo- brains and our bodies. Mm. Uh, that's why we have we get boggled with things like uh, extrasensory perception (ESP). Uh, and we have trouble believing that because we're all supposed to be self-contained and not connected with one another. That is a very modern concept uh, because that did not exist very often in in more ancient civilizations. So um, the answer is up in the air. Personally, I think, well, well, pardon the pun, 
But uh, I think that the whole notion that uh, we can exist outside our bodies fully is not legitimate, but partially, uh, perhaps. I will point out that when these experiences take place, uh, they tend to be rather brief. Right? Uh, there is the notion of the flashing nexus, as we call it. Uh, that's a term we had to coin in order to explain it, because I'd never heard of it before. Uh, that people would will be not only outside their bodies, but will actually be other people for brief periods, you know, up to 30 seconds sometimes. And uh, this is something we I talk about in my last book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard. So, so uh, I think the uh, the jury is out on that, but I think there are aspects to be considered that a lot of people don't consider. Uh, Rick? Uh, I have a question. I have a question for you, and Ben, actually, both of you, because uh, it's not an area that I've studied well. But... Um, the, the idea of the uh, near-death experience, how is that different from a deep meditative state? Ben, do you want to take that? Uh, well, my first, uh, first of all, first things first, um, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to counter Doug's question with another question, okay. which is, what is a body? Right. Which is, which is, uh, oh, it looks like you're receiving a phone call. I don't know who from. Maybe. Oh, Peter Robbins is calling. Oh, lovely. Why, calling, why don't we do something different and answer the call? He's calling the wrong line. Yeah. Is he? He is. Hello, Peter. Peter Robbins, folks. Uh, we're on the air, and uh, Peter Robbins is a very dear friend and one of the uh, major theological figures in the UFO field. So we have open lines today, and I know you want to talk to me about something else, but we're, we're, it's, this is the time to call into the show. So, uh, it's going to sound terrible, but okay. Everybody in your audience. Um, second, yes, I did want to talk to you about something else, and I, I will get back to you on that. Um, but otherwise, what an interesting moment we find ourselves <laughs> yes. in in the world of UFO history. In live radio. <laughs> in live radio. Uh, well, we had, uh, I don't know if you know Chris DiPerno from uh, New York, MUFON, because you, you, you live in New York. Absolutely. He's a dear friend and colleague, and I'm crazy about him. Well, this is your lucky day, because he called in earlier, we had a great conversation, and we're going to do a separate show with him. Oh, terrific. <clears throat> yeah, he is um, one of our uh, uh, most reliable and respected New York State-based uh, UFO investigators, and as you know, he has a background uh, in law enforcement, and uh you can't ask for better than Chris. No question about it. Excellent. Well, Peter, I'll call you after the show, uh, after 1 o'clock, that is. And, uh, that sounds great. <laughs> after we're off the air, we look forward to talking with you. I look forward to having you back on the show soon. Thanks, my friend, and happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers listening. And all the men, too. Yes, that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> bye now, guys. All right, bye-bye. You couldn't have planned that. <laughs> no. Well, it's right. live radio. So go ahead, Ben. Uh, so my question would be, what is a body? And I, I think this is another thing that we, we grossly misunderstand. I think we, we unfortunately have the habit of divvying things up and saying, well, this doesn't equal this because these two things are very different. And I would argue that it is not different. I would argue that how we understand what a body is is flawed because there are two different portions of body. You know, there's there's the the fleshy part, and then there's a different part that exists at the same time, right? So, like, you know, I, I think it's it's not it's not fair to to assume that it's like okay, well, you got body and spirit, that's it. 
Because the two kind of have to function together, right? It's not like two separate beings living in the same place. It's like it's it's part of the same whole, right? I'd argue that the spirit is part of the body because the body is not just, you know, the gooey, fleshy things. It's also the things that come along with it, which are the abilities and powers of understanding other things, right? So, like, ancients viewed the body as, um, you know, the, the, abil- the ability to do things, right? Feet represented the ability to move. Having a face represented the ability to speak. Having eyes, for example, eyes are gushy, circular things in your head, but also they give you the ability to see. And so with that, the body includes a whole sort of nexus of potentialities and, and, and powers inside of having a body, right? There's also the flesh, which is a portion of that, but it's not exactly everything in, in the mix because there's a whole bunch of other portions of the human experience that are outside of having a fleshy body. Am I right? Mm. The, the, the issue, I think, is, is an understanding, right, these very, very high concepts of, okay, well, if, if I have, have this, this, this fleshy thing, how do spirit things come from fleshy thing? Because it's all part of the same thing. Because the body is more than just your, your gooey, fleshy parts. It's all about the experiences you have, too, right? You know, it's like, yeah, sure, there's science behind it, right? We know that there are nerve endings in your fingers that connect directly to your brain. But the thing is, that's all part of the experience. Arguably, you could say, well, it's spiritual because it's not something you know, that's that's happening empirically. But we know it's there. And we know that, that you know, we breathe air and the air exists. We know that air is there. and We can study it if we, if we want. But it's something that we participate in physically but also in that in that same sense it's also a portion of the body i hope i'm not rambling too much the whole, the whole no, point, no, I, I get it the whole point is how our, our basic understanding of basic things is flawed and we have to keep that in mind because yes i agree with you father i'm all i'm with you all the way but i think the problem is isn't that how can you be you without your body i think the problem is what is your body? What is our body? Good point. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's the statement that we need to define first before we understand how can you be you without your body, and it's more than that because technically we're all part of the same body. You know, I've I've heard the I've heard the 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 sort of anecdotal thing like oh well we're all just microbes living on the earth as a body, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like or, or something to that effect. It's like okay, yeah. That's true. I agree with that. I'd ar- I'd ar- argue that then we're all part of that same body. Yeah, the whole Gaia thing. I want to let Rick get in here, but just um, one more point uh, on this uh, issue: the notion of remote viewing, where psychics will supposedly see things at a distance, uh, military targets, uh, what other people are doing, things like that. And I've known people who've done that. And uh, the same question would arise. I mean, is that the same? Is that an out of the body experience, or are they just uh, perceiving something where you know from a parallel reality where they are there or whatever? So the, the same thing, hovering over the body and looking down, uh, is that a form of remote viewing? Well, it's it's similar to this. Is I'm going to loop this back. The color blue did not exist 2,500 years ago. It's everyone saw it as white. If you look at you know Homer writing about the the Mediterranean Sea, he says it's burgundy or purple. Um, and there are even African tribes that still see they look up at the sky and they see it as white because they just they don't perceive the color blue. Now, does that mean the color blue doesn't exist? 
No, because you're wearing a blue shirt right now, and so am I, actually. And, it, and Rick's got a blue tie. <laughs> and but for whatever reason, it's it's the perception of it, and they can be taught this perception. There's there's actually really interesting scientific studies on this that if they once they see the color blue, they initially see it and they think it's either green or white, and then when they're told it's blue and they see it a bunch of times, then they see it everywhere and they don't stop seeing it. Now, what we perceive. Is 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 that that's that's the question, and is it in you know out of the body experiences? From what I understand, they're very physical at the same time. It's not just all spiritual stuff, and so it's it's throwing all sorts of monkey wrenches into this idea that it, oh well, it's just all a bunch of spirits and that's it. And it, it's like you know our, our we need to go back to basics <laughs> and kind of understand the foundations, or at least question the foundations of how we even perceive reality at all. Yeah, Rick. So anyway, I, I guess I'd go back to that. So when I when I listen to this, it it, it makes a lot of sense. It, it, but the the one thing I'll come back to is I I'm trying to like for myself divvy up where a near death experience versus the meditative a deep meditative state. Now I've never achieved a deep meditative state. I'm going to be upfront right now. I've also never almost died, so I don't have a a, a bearing for that. But, Paul, I know you and Ben have achieved deep meditative states. I don't know if you've achieved the other one. I hope not. But if you have or if you have knowledge that you could share about what the difference is, that would help me in my path to understanding. Well, there may not be that much difference, actually. Um, You know, I I learned to meditate from the the Trappist monks of all people um, in Spencer, Massachusetts, not far from where we sit. And the... um, the, the principles are really basic. You, ben and I have also done that at the uh, Zen Monastery, which we happen to have one in Cumberland, Rhode Island. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't realize. And uh, meditation uh, uh, exercises take place there. And uh, I never found it all that much different from what the Trappists were saying. So it's kind of a human thing. Um, it is rather simple, you know, the quieting of the mind. And Ben, you know about it. You, you could describe it. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I've learned, from, learned about it from mul- multiple sources. Um, you know, not just the Zen Buddhists, but I was also hung around with, uh, with Aztec shaman for a while. Um, that was that was a, a grand old time, and um, you, you know, just kind of I hung around in many different circles and kind of picked up tips and tricks here and there. And ultimately, I kind of came to the conclusion um, that all that all that experience is well and great, and you know, I, I it's like I, I experienced some really cool stuff. And yeah, I I, I don't know if it, if it was the, the same as a near death experience because I've never experienced it. Um, pardon the play on words, but arguably I found that um, just quieting the mind and seeing reality for what it is, I guess it's called mindfulness now, um, Mm. which is is very, that's pretty much what it comes down to. I think we we tend to deceive ourselves into seeing things that aren't really there um, a lot, and just focusing on, on reality itself and understanding or at least attempting to understand <laughs> our perception, at least perceiving that we don't perceive things correctly. There we go, um, and just being mindful of that and mindful of ourselves. Okay, yeah. Well, more to, more on that as we go uh, next week, perhaps uh, when we have a second open line show. But right now we're out of time, and we better get to our announcements. Yes, okay. and we always have a plethora of announcements. 
uh, and I'm looking at the, the question sheet, and that's not correct. Uh, so our fifth neighborhood meeting in what we refer to as the Pennsylvania Triangle or the Dubois Triangle, um, which was supposed to take place yesterday, has been postponed and will be rescheduled. Uh, we'll update you and have more information as time goes on. Our new book, uh, work on this continues, Behind the Paranormal Three, Uneasy Skies. Uh, also contributing will be several of our colleagues, and the book will contain the best of our interviews over, the, over our many years uh, with the greatest researchers in the UFO field, <coughs> Stan Friedman, uh, Peter Robbins, who just called in accidentally, <laughs> uh, as well as uh, some of our own experiences. For a great live radio moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look for the book release late this year or early next year. Yeah, you can check out our current books uh, along with those of our other co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you also can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. So, Rick, what's going on with you? Well, right now, to be honest, I've got a couple cases I just finished, um that uh, we were talking about triangle UFOs earlier. I've got a couple of uh, cigar-shaped UFOs that uh, have been uh, recorded out in the western part of California, so I've been looking at that. And then uh, hopefully I'll have a report on some of these star sightings that I'm working on in the Bay Area where people are seeing them um, uh, scintillate, if you will, or move in weird directions. So I'm I'm reviewing that and seeing what I can come up with, and I'll be happy to report on it later on in in one of the shows. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, now, we've reloaded recorded shows into the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com because there were all kinds of tech issues over the last few years. We got them back to 2009. Uh, we'll get, we're starting to get some of the 2008 ones on there, and uh, <clears throat> as well as special shows and podcasts. Uh, the links aren't all quite set up yet, but we will. And we're also uh, completely redesigning, and it's uh, no none too soon, uh, the New England Ghosts website, which is <clears throat> our main site as um, investigative team. So, uh, uh, uh have a charity page as well. Yes, we have many charity. We have many charities upon our website charity page, uh, with links to several good causes we have adopted on the show. Uh, now we have added a new charity, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, which is run, uh, by our, our good, our good friend. Tom Spitaleri. Tom yeah. Spitaleri, who's, yeah. who's going, who's, you know, un- unfortunately we had to cancel, uh, Parafest this year and that would have gone to help him out, but you can also check out all of the other charities that we have on there, um, and that's BehindTheParanormal.com. So what do we have for next week, Ben? So next week, May 16th, we'll bring you the second of our duo open line shows uh, with guest uh, co-host Shane Seaway, who will be back with us that week. That's right. And <clears throat> I, I guess we can, uh, we don't have any time, I guess, for our uh, quote again this week, but uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Rick Eno, filling in for Shane. Uh, Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.